somebody has sponsored today's shir, Le'ilu Nishmas Rachel Leah Bas Mordechai Tzvi, as well as a sponsorship from Bela Brazil. And we thank you for sponsoring a memory of your brother, Eli Melech Ben Ruven, Rabbi Mike Stern, whose fourth yard site is coming up. We hope that both of them will have an alias and a shama from our learning this morning. Uh, it's with a very heavy heart that I also dedicate this morning's shir to the grandson of Mrs. Diamond, as is Chus Shlema for Ariel Noam Ben Yuta Gittel. And we hope that he will have a Rafua Shlema, Besoch Sha'ar Chole Yisrael. Uh, Rabbi Axarad went up yesterday to Albany to visit him and, uh, and to offer Tfilos there. And we hope that he will have a complete Rafua and that everything that the doctors have to do to progress him in the right direction will go with Siata Deshmaya and that he should be well and his family should be well. Let us begin with a comment of the Ran. The Ran was one of the Gedolei Harishonim in the 1300s in Barcelona. And he writes in the Drashos Haran the following idea. Lif Amim, he says, at times, Mishadshim Mikrim, there are situations in our, lo- in our lives, in our world, Berichuk Makom, things that happen very far away in remote locations, nowhere near us. And today we're even more familiar with this because now that we have the internet and we have news that travels, we have the opportunity to hear about all kinds of things that are going on all over the world that really may not be so connected to us in particular. Sometimes, he says, we hear about things that happen in islands that are very distant in remote locations from where we are. And he says, many of those are in order that we should feel encouraged, inspired, we should feel motivated to do tshuva because of what it is that we hear. And they should be concerned that maybe whatever is going on in this distant remote location might come to them someday as well. Who remembers when COVID began? And we heard about some strange thing that was going on in China. So unless you were part of a business that traveled to China, how much attention were you paying to it? And you said, it's going to stay there every couple of years. They have all kinds of issues in these kinds of countries. It's never going to spread. It's never going to come. And little did we know that we would end up in the situation that we did. But says the Iran so precisely... This is exactly what happens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bring something and it's made to be some kind of message, but very often people miss the message. Very often people are not paying enough attention to what messages are out there and they say, now nah, this is just in a location that's very far away from me. And he quotes a Pasuk in the Navi Tzfanya, Hichrati goyim nashamu pinosam hecharavti chutzosam ibli over, amarti ach tiro si tikhi musar. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, all kinds of things are going to happen in the world, and all I ask is, see, learn, study, examine, and try to take a little bit of a message from it. Says the Ran, when people do not get the intended message, sometimes, he says, it starts coming closer and closer, it begins to become a little bit more focused, on the people that the message was intended for. And there is no doubt, he says, somebody that says the, that sees these cautionary warning signs, and he's unyielding and inflexible, not willing to change at all any behavior, 
even based on what they are seeing and what they may be experiencing, says the Ran, that's a big mistake. And he says at the end, The Ran says that we know, God forbid somebody is sick, somebody has a physical ailment, we're all familiar with the fact that we will go to the end of the world to find the specialist, we'll pay whatever it is to try to heal ourselves, says the Ran. I would say that it's more important to prioritize Rufuas Hanefesh. It's more important to prioritize not only when we have a physical ailment, but when we have something that is with regard to our Midos, something that is with regard to a different aspect of our life that might not be a physical ailment, but a different aspect of life, to think about that as well. And to think about Rufuas Hanefesh. This week's Parsha has the very unfortunate, calamitous story of the Miraglim. There is so much to talk about. But the opening words of the parsha are, Shlach lecha nashim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he should send messengers. And those messengers, V'yasuru Eretz Kanan. Their job is they're going to scout out the land, they're going to see what happens. They're going to see whether this is a land that is really a place that we could inhabit or maybe we all need to stay away. And we're all familiar with the story and it needs a great explanation. How could it be? that the leaders of the generation fell to such a low? How could it be that they brought along the entire Jewish people in such a devastating manner? How can all of this happen? Very good question. Show up on Shabbos. I'm sure somebody will talk about it. But for now, I just want to focus on a comment of Rashi. Rashi on the Parsha, I hope somebody will talk about it. And if not, get another rabbi. So Rashi says, quoting the Medrash Tanchuma, very important medrash. Medrash asks, Lama nismacha parshas miraglim the parshas miriam? Why is it that the Torah decides to put together two stories that seemingly have no connection at all? In the end of last week's parsha, we read about the story of Miriam Hanaviah. What happens with Miriam? She gets up together with her brother Aaron, and she slanders Moshe Rabbeinu. She doesn't understand. How could it be? Moshe Rabbeinu was born to the same parents we were born to. Moshe Rabbeinu is part of the same family as we are. How can it be that Moshe Rabbeinu thinks he's holier than thou? Moshe Rabbeinu feels he needs to separate from his wife. He needs to live an elevated lifestyle. He should be the same as us. Are we not Nevi'im like Moshe Rabbeinu is? Were we not born to the same parents? Are we not as holy as he is? And we know that he was punished. And we, I'm sorry, we know that Miriam Hanavia was punished and she got saras and needs an explanation what this is all about. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu responds and he says, Lo kein avdi Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're right, was born to the same parents, grew up in the same home, went to the same school as you did, but Moshe Rabbeinu is Adon Hanavim. Moshe Rabbeinu is in a league of his own. Moshe Rabbeinu is Pe'el Pe'adaber. Moshe Rabbeinu has a direct line of communication that no other prophet or prophetess ever had and ever will have. Moshe Rabbeinu is something very unique and special. Says Rashi, quoting the Tanchuma, why is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided in the Torah to put the story of Miriam Hanaviah and her punishment for slandering Moshe Rabbeinu right next to the story of the Miraglim. What is the connection between the two? Explains Rashi. Since we learned in last week's parsha that Miriam Hanaviah was punished, she was penalized, she was given a leprosy, and everybody had to wait for her because of that. And these evil Jews who were living at the same time of the story of last week's Parsha, 
who saw the consequence of slander, who understood that you're going to be punished for doing something like that. They saw all of that and it didn't change them. And in the very next parsha, we read that they do the same thing. How can it be? Didn't you just see the devastating consequence of one who slanders another person? Don't you see what happens when you use your words inappropriately? Don't you know what the outcome of that is going to be? Look what happened to Miriam. So you watch that, and it made no impression on you. And you didn't digest the message, and you didn't absorb it. And you just let it go right by you. And no part of that experience was incorporated into your life. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's why these two stories belong next to each other. So I was thinking about that Rashi. Rashi refers to these people as Rishoyim Halalu. Who were these individuals who were chosen to go and be the Anashim, to be these spies who were going to Eretz Yisrael to scout out the land? These were the leaders of the generation. These were the Nisiyim. These were great people. And yet Rashi refers to them as Rishoyim Halalu. Why? If I can just ask everyone to maybe silence their cell phones, it would be helpful. Take a second. Rashi refers to them as Rishayim Halalu. Why are they Rishayim? Because God gave you the message. You saw what happens. You experienced it. You watched the devastating consequence of one who doesn't use the words properly. And you made the same mistake. Because in life, when there are messages that are put forth in front of us, it's so easy to ignore them. But there's a reason why we experienced this, why we saw this. There's a reason why we went through this moment of life, through this juncture. Why did we see whatever it is that we saw? In a few weeks, we're going to read the story of Bilam Harasha, the infamous non-Jew who decided that he was going to venture out and curse the Jewish people. Now, you sometimes get the wrong impression. You think, oh, Bilam, what a low life. Look what he did. We're actually told in Chazal, like we spoke about in last week's Parsha, there was nobody who was on the level of prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. Yes, he was the greatest of the Nevi'im, but look carefully at the words, what does that mean? There was no Jew, no member of the Jewish community who was ever as great as Moshe, but there was a prophet who was as great as Moshe Rabbeinu, and that was Bilam Harasha. Bilam was a fantastic person. He had a level of prophecy that was unimaginable. He was on par with Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet, look what he did. Along the way, as we know, the story, Bilam is traveling, and as he's going, his animal is not cooperating, and he starts to hit the animal. And an angel, a Malach Hashem, reaches out to Bilam and says, why have you hit your animal three times? Now I ask you, what would you do if you were traveling and your animal was not willing to do what it was supposed to do? That's what they do. You hit the animal and it starts moving. So what's the question? Why have you hit the animal? The answer is because that's what everybody in my situation would do. So what's the question? The Kedushas Levi explains, the Barditshever, he says maybe... What this means is, don't you understand how Baruch Hu is putting a message in front of you? 
Do you not hear it? Are you deaf? Are you blind? Don't you see it? Can you not understand that it's not normal for an animal to be talking back and having a conversation with a human being? Did you miss that? Something so significant just happened, something so abnormal, such an anomaly, such an unusual experience, and you just keep riding? And you're hitting the animal as if nothing happened? Put your life on pause, stop for a moment, and ask yourself, does this actually make sense? Is there any reason why I just went through this experience? And ask yourself whether I'm actually doing something that maybe God is trying to send me a message about. Your only response is, let me hit the animal and move on? How can that possibly be? Now this is a little bit of a difficult interpretation because it's hard to know exactly what the intended message is. Take, for example, Chazal tell us when Avraham Avinu is on his way to perform the Akedah, greatest moment of his life, about to do the greatest sacrifice for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As he's on his way to perform the Akedah, the Medrash says, there was a river that suddenly appeared in front of him. Now, if I was on the way to sacrifice my own son and I see a river in my way, I would say, you know what, God doesn't really want me to go. If he wanted me to go, he would make sure there would be a speedboat here. He would make sure to figure out how to get me to the other side. He would have made sure that I went a different route. But obviously, if there's a river in the way and it's going to stop me from getting to the place where I need to get to, it must be, it's a simen minashamayim that I'm not supposed to go. That is what I would have taken out of it. Avraham Avinu says, no, I look at this river, let me figure out what this is about. This is the satan trying to get in the way. This is God trying to test me. Am I still willing to show my allegiance to him? Now, how do you know when it's God testing you and telling you, turn around, like by Bilam? And how do you know when it's God saying to you, keep going and don't let this stop you? Very hard to know. And that's what I find very difficult about this interpretation. It's hard to really understand that. The Chafetz Chaim writes in one of the comments on the Mishnabura, he says that at some point his son passed away, a very tragic incident. His son, who he loved so much, who was his youngest child, I believe, got sick and he passed away. And the Chafetz Chaim said it was in the middle of his writing the Mishnabura. It was while he was trying to compile the Mishnabura. And he said to himself, is this a sign from heaven that maybe I'm doing the wrong thing? Maybe I should stop in my tracks and not continue the project. Maybe that's what God's trying to tell me. Or is God trying to test me? And he's trying to say, I'm going to give you something so painful, so devastating, so difficult. Let's see if you can still continue to move forward. Let's see, are you still going to hold on to the faith? It's hard. But can you still do that? So how to interpret the simanim, how to figure out exactly what HaKadosh Baruch Hu means is very, very difficult, as we mentioned. Now, for anyone, even the most righteous, honorable person to claim that they know with absolute confidence and clarity exactly what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us and how we're supposed to decipher or interpret a given message, I think that would be pretentious. I think it would take a tremendous sense of gaiva, a great sense of self for a person to say, I know why God does this. I actually was once at a funeral of a very tragic situation, very, a tremendous tragedy, and there was a leader of the community who got up to speak right before me, and he says, you know why this happened, right? And he says, it happened because people are not Shomri Shabbos enough, and this family doesn't care enough about Shabbos, and he starts going off on a tirade, and with that, I would like to introduce Rabbi Shechter to say Debrei Hesbid. So, I feel horrible that we're laughing about such a thing, but it was actually comical. It was not comical, it was so insane. I was reminded at that moment of what my father always told us. The Kuzari, and I believe the Sefer Ha'ikrim, Rabbi Yosef Albo, some of the great Bali Machshava have a line, Ilu yedativ 
Hayisiv. It's a short phrase. Ilu yedativ Hayisiv. What does it mean? If I understood everything about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's essence, if I understood exactly how the world ran and why things happen the way they do, I would be God myself. I would apply for the job and I would, I would fall into that role. But I'm not God. Because I don't understand everything. And I don't know how to interpret. And that's why the Ribbona Shalom is who he is. And I am who I am. Because Ilu Yadativ, if I understood everything, I would be God myself. There would be no reason to believe in a God. So to say that we know exactly how and why things happen would be something that is highly inappropriate. We don't have Nevi'im. The Gemara says, Mishemes Chagai Zechariah Malachi, Batlu Hanavua. Once the last of the prophets passed away, there was no longer any ability for prophecy. Now, there may be a Makubal somewhere who's going to tell you he knows and he sees. You shouldn't trust them because I trust the Gemara more than any of them. The Gemara says, Batla Hanavua. There was no such thing as prophecy today. We don't have that reality. It used to be something went wrong in my family, something went wrong in my life. I went to the Navi, I said, what am I supposed to do? What's God trying to tell me? We know that the Torah outlines the story of Saras, when somebody gets leprosy on their house, on their clothing, on their body. Now we say, it's just a skin condition. Let me go to the doctor and get some cream. But back then you actually went to the Navi, to the Kohen, and you asked them, what am I supposed to do? What does God want from me? Everything that happened in people's lives used to be an intended message for them. But there were individuals who were alive who were able to interpret those messages and tell them how to decipher what it is that God's trying to tell them. So we don't have that. But to therefore conclude that since we don't have Nevi'im, therefore we simply walk away from a dramatic life experience and some kind of ordeal and learn nothing at all from it would also be an inappropriate response. You can't say that just because we have no Nevi'im, therefore we shouldn't learn from anything that's going on. Why do I mention this? Because the past few days in New York, we had an extremely rare and unusual phenomenon. As we know, there have been devastating wildfires in Canada that have generated not only a constant smell here in New York, but also a gloomy and foggy haze that has taken over the entire skyline of New York City. And there were people who were constantly checking to see what the air quality level, when was the last time you checked the air quality level in your life? But there were people who were checking the air quality level every few minutes and flights were delayed and many of them were canceled due to a severe visibility issue. There were many who were afraid to leave their homes and go outside altogether. So most people were watching the news. Most people were checking their phones. Most people were analyzing and explaining and were mystified by everything that was going on, such an anomaly. But as ma'aminim ba'akadosh baruch as ardent believers in the Ribona Shalolam, are you just going to chalk up this whole incident to a wildfire in Canada that just so happens to be, came all the way to New York, which doesn't really make sense if you ever would imagine such a thing? Is that all it's going to be? Well, strange, unusual experience, and, you know, sometimes it happens, and yes, our world is falling apart, and uh, who knows what's going to be tomorrow, and let's just hope we'll all be fine. Is that all we're going to take from this and walk away? So I can't tell you what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us. I'm not a Navi. I'm not a Ben Navi. It's hard to know what the precise message is, but I thought that I would share with whoever's interested in listening what I've been thinking about personally because of this. A lot of things have been in my mind as a result of what we experienced last week. And I think in general, for somebody to come and tell you what you should take from an experience, take it or leave it. 
But everybody has to think for themselves, what am I personally going to take from an experience? And every experience is a simen min hashamayim. The question is, how do you decipher what that simen is? So here's the first thing I thought about. The Navi Yeshaya. Let's look at number Gimel together. There were two great Nevi'im, I'm sorry, there were many great Nevi'im, but two of the most prominent Nevi'im were Yechezkel and Yeshaya. The highlight of Yechezkel's career in Nevuah was when he had the image of the Masa HaMerkava, which meant he was given an insight into the inner workings of the world, how God does things, why He does them the way He does, something very out-of-body experience for a human being. A parallel to that Nevuah that he had was the prophecy of Yeshaya Hanavi, who had a very similar kind of experience. We don't give it so much fanfare. This happens to be the Haftorah for Parshas Yisro. And let's read through the beginning of the story just to get an understanding of what it is that he saw. He gives a vivid description of this overwhelming, staggering experience that he had. I was given this divine image of HaKadosh Baruch who's sitting on a throne, on a majestic throne. And God's feet, God's legs were filling up the entire space. I saw that there were angels and malachim hovering above HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Each one had six wings. Now why did the angels have six wings? He explains... With two of the wings, they were covering their face. With two of them, they were flying. With the other four, they were doing other things. And he explains what the function of each of these angels actually was. A number of years ago, just as an aside, I was at a Levaya. I don't know if any of you remember, there was a, a great Jew who lived in Queens. His name was Mr. Cooperman, friend of your father. No? Mr. Cooperman? Longtime friend of your father. Yes. So Mr. Cooperman was a survivor who then came to the United States, ran a very successful business, Armatron Watches, and was really a a tremendous Jew. I'm sorry, no, that was Eugene Gluck. Sorry. Mr. Cooperman sat next to Eugene Gluck. He did. So they were actually very two two very close friends. My father was close with both of them. They came to his shear for, I don't know how many years, 30 years, 35 years. And Mr. Cooperman was very, very close with my father. He ended up, he bought buildings in Washington Heights. He had a lot of real estate. He used to give them to all the boys learning in the Kolo and NYU at a reduced rate. Whatever, he, he was a really, a really great Jew. So when Mr. Cooperman passed away, uh, we all went to his Levaya. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he passed away without children. I don't remember exactly, but I, I think he never had biological children, if I remember correctly. And at the Leviah, the rabbi of his shul told over the following in the name of Mr. Cooperman himself. So he got up and he said, Mr. Cooperman was very close with Rabbi Shechter, with the real one. And I once asked him, you know, you're 30 years older than him. You were living in Europe. You met really great people. Why are you so enamored with Rabbi Shechter? Why do you go and ask him all your questions? And why do you go to his shir every week? So he said, Mr. Cooperman answered him with this pasuk. He said, the Gemara says that you have to choose a Rebbe, you have to choose a teacher who is Dome Lamalach Hashem Tzavakos. Now what does it mean? How are you supposed to choose a Rebbe who is Dome Lamalach Hashem Tzavakos? 
what does that mean? In what context should he be like a malach? So many different interpretations. But Mr. Cooperman asked, I've never met a malach. So how, am I know, how do I know what to compare it to? How should I choose appropriately when I really don't know what I'm choosing from? So he said, the answer has to be, you have to look at the description that the Navi gives of a malach, and we have to learn from that. What is the description? Here the Navi Yeshaya tells us that he actually engaged the malachim. He saw them. And the malachim had six wings. But you'll notice it says they only flew with two of them. Mr. Cooperman said, you need to choose a teacher who has so much knowledge that they can fly with six wings. But when they come to teach, they bring it down to the people. And they speak in the language that people can handle and absorb. And they hide four of their wings. They only fly with two of them. Yes, if you'll ask them a complicated question, maybe they can bring back from the recesses of their minds, they can bring back from their scholarship something else that will answer a question. But in general, when they're dealing with people, when they're educating, when they're interacting, they only fly with two of them. That's why I chose my Rebbe. Because I knew that Rabbi Schechter had six wings, but when he came to teach us, he only flew with two of them. I was so touched by this. It was such an amazing perspective. I felt strange because it wasn't supposed to be a hespit on my father. But it was fascinating, an amazing insight from this Pasuk. So the Navi describes how he saw all of the Malachim. And then he says the next thing that happened was Bikara Zelzevi Amar, very famous Pasuk, we say it in our davening every day. They all called out responsibly to each other, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzivakos, Malochal Haaretz Kivodo. This was so paralyzing. It was such a stunning experience. The entire home where HaKadosh Baruch Hu's throne was situated, where all the Malachim were staying, filled up with a haze. So this is what I thought about last week. Here we are in New York. And the whole sky fills up with smoke. And I can't go out of my house. And what are we looking at? So I thought about this reaction of the Navi. What does he say when he sees an entire house fill up with smoke? What is his response? His response is, Va'omer, va'omar, and I said to myself, Oi li ki nidmesi, ki he said to himself, I finally realized, who am I? As I'm looking at all of the smoke, I couldn't get past it. So what exactly does it mean, this reaction, this response of the Navi Yeshaya to this amazing reality that he was shown? So the Dubna Magid in the 1700s has an unbelievable interpretation to explain what this means. And he often tried to explain different concepts based on a mashal, and he gives the following mashal to explain it. He says there was a community, everybody there was totally illiterate, ignorant people, very innocent, wonderful Jews, but they really never had the opportunity to go to school. There was one Jew whose father had taught him the Aleph Bays, taught him a little bit how to read. And this Jew was assumed to be the great Talmud Chacham of the town. How so? Wasn't really so educated. But he knew a little bit more than everybody else. So when they come to shul and they're trying to figure out, are we supposed to say Yalaviyavu today or not? They would turn to him. And what would he do? He would open up the luach. 
he would read the instructions and he would tell him, yes, yes, I'm supposed to say Yalav Yalav. He'd say, wow, you know, what an amazing, what an amazing Talmud Chacham this person is. Unbelievable. Next week there was a Shaila. You know, are we supposed to say Masha uh, Varuach today? He's not sure. He looks it up. Yep, says he say Masha Varuach. Wow, you know, people are just amazed by this person. And this continued on for years. And he was the de facto rabbi of the community, not because he knew anything, but because he knew just to drop more than everybody else and he knew how to read. One day he goes on a business venture and he goes out to the big city and when he gets there, he realizes he has to daven mincha. So he asks around, does anybody know where I can find the minion? They say, yeah, yeah, there's a big shul over there. You should go a few blocks. Walks into the shul and he sees that it's not yet time for mincha. But he notices that there are groups of people who are studying together. So he says, you know what? I'll spend a few minutes. Let me sit down with them. Sits down with the first group and he doesn't know what is going on. It was the Dafyomi Shir. And he turns to them and he says, can somebody tell me what's happening here? He said, well, we're learning the Dafyomi. Not really because this was before the Dafyomi. But we're having a Shir in Gemara. We're all learning the Daf. And he says, what's the Dafyomi? Can you explain me what's the Gemara? So he said, you never heard of the Babylonian Talmud, Talmud Bavli? He says, nope, never heard of it. What do you mean? Where do you live? He tells them, I live in a small city, but this is not what we do. So they give him a Gemara. He doesn't know how to hold it, doesn't even know what to do. He says, you know what? This is too advanced. This, is, this must be the major leagues. This is not for me. This is advanced Talmud. So he goes into the next room and he sees there's a Hever there learning something else. Sits down with them and he asks them, so what are you doing? He said, we're learning Mishnayis. What's Mishnayis? can't really follow, doesn't know what's happening. They give him a Mishnahis. He doesn't know what the concepts they're discussing. He can't follow at all. They said, you know, if this is too advanced for you, there happens to be another room next door where they're just all reading Tehillim together. Maybe you want to go join them? He says, fine. Goes to the next room and he sees everybody sitting with a, with a book open, reading. He asks them, what are you doing? We're saying Tehillim. What's Tehillim? Tehillim is, you know, David HaMelech. You ever heard of him? Yeah, I heard of him. Well, you know, he wrote a very special Sefer and we say the Tehillim all the time. They give him a sitter, he couldn't follow. And finally, for the first time in his life, he turns to himself and he says, wow, I've been so delusional about where I stand in the leadership of the Jewish community. Here I was all these years and I thought, I'm this great Talmud Chacham. I have amazing scholarship. Then, I go into a community where people actually are scholars and I realize not only am I not a scholar, I'm not even on the level of the simplest Jew who lives in this town. I don't even know how to read it to Hillam. I don't even know how to open a sitter and do what they do. And he says to himself, this was the most wide awakening moment of his life. When his whole, all of his assumptions came crashing down on him. And he realizes he's been living in a smokescreen his whole life. People have been celebrating him and telling him how great he is. And meanwhile, none of it was reality. All of it was just perception. All of it was just people's interpretation of who he was, not knowing really what's out there. Writes the Dubna Magid, Yeshaya Hanavi felt the same way. Here I am, living my life as the great prophet Yeshaya. And everywhere I go, they're talking about this great Jew, this great individual, and they call him up and everyone is so enthralled by him and he's giving his speeches everywhere and everyone's amazed. Everyone's amazed. And it came a time where I started to believe this. 
I started to become self-absorbed because I said, look, if everybody thinks I'm so great, it must be that I really am so great. And you become disillusioned and you're living a life of fantasy. And then the moment of truth comes and you realize you're the emperor that has no clothes. You realize I'm really nothing at all. I'm not everything that everybody thought I was. Because when I see greatness, I realize that in comparison to something great, I see how small I am. And his reaction is, upon seeing this bayis yimalei ashan, upon seeing this house that's filled with smoke, with a haze, he says, Oi li kinidmesi. I've been living an entire life of dimyon, an entire life of fantasy. Nothing has been real about any of my assumptions. Everything's been fake. And his whole world comes to a standstill and he has to reimagine everything. That's what I thought about when I saw the smoke last week, this past week. How many of us are living a life behind the smoke screen? How many people are living such a fake life, never allowing themselves to think beyond the reality that's in front of them, to see the bigger picture, to understand there's something larger than themselves, to stop being so self-absorbed, and to just see things from a different perspective. How many of us live behind that smoke and don't have the ability to see straight, to see clearly? Every Rosh Chodesh we say the Tefillah Bar Nafshi, and in Bar Nafshi we're told, Tashas Choshech Laila. And the Gemara wonders, what does it mean that Tashas Choshech Laila? Says the Gemara Mesechas Bab Metziah, This is a description of our world that in some way is considered like darkness. There are so many confusing, disorienting aspects of our world. And we don't have a full perspective. We don't have a full picture. I was talking to someone a couple of months ago who said they had gone out to a restaurant with their spouse and they were watching how there were three people sitting at a table next to them who were three influencers, three well-known social media personalities. For those who don't know what I'm describing, Ashrechem. I'm so jealous of you. And this person told me how they were following online, on social media, as all of these three people next to them were posting about what was going on at their table. And they were saying how it just didn't match the reality of what was actually happening at the table. They were watching it in real time. How these three people were taking selfies and holding up their plates and doing all kinds of things to show people that there was a reality that actually didn't actually exist. Meanwhile, the three of them weren't even talking. They were so busy doing their social media posts that they couldn't even enjoy the dinner together. But this person said, they were just watching this unfold and how fake of a reality they're posting online for everyone to see. It doesn't correspond to the real reality in front of us. Who didn't hear that last week there was a lawyer who filed a legal brief in the United States of America He submitted a legal brief before a judge that was created 
by ChatGPT that was written by AI. And the counter-argument couldn't figure out how they're supposed to refute the claims. They couldn't find all of these cases that were being mentioned in the brief. And meanwhile, the whole thing was made up. The whole thing was fabricated. How does a lawyer in the United States of America think they're not going to be caught when they file a motion, when they file a brief with things? They didn't even do the basic homework. At least if you're going to take from AI, at least fake it well. At least look it up and make sure everything actually happened. But we live in such a fake world. And you see what a, what a false reality it is, what a smokescreen we're all looking at. You look at people's social media posts about their vacations and you ask yourself, how come my husband's not taking me on that vacation? How come my family's not able to go? Meanwhile, you're not seeing 99% of the story. You're not seeing that they went into credit card debt in order to do this. And you're not seeing that they have no shalom bias in the house. And you're not seeing that behind this beautiful home that we see in Woodmere, there is no shalom bias. And the kids hate their parents and the parents hate their kids. You don't see all of that. You don't see all of that. But there's so much fake reality. And we all know it. There's actually somebody's house whom I know very well. If I tell you how many tsaras are in that house, you wouldn't believe it. But if I tell you how many people drive by this house and wish they had what this family has, what you see is not really what it is. What you see is not really what it is. And says the Navi Yeshaya, sometimes we have to look past the smoke and ask ourselves, Am I living a whole life of dimyon, a whole life of disillusion, a whole life not realizing what the reality actually is? What's behind that fancy house? What's going on in that family? Not that it's our business, but think beyond the reality that you see. That social media posts, don't be enamored by these influencers. You don't know them. You have nothing to do with them. You don't know what's happening in their lives. You don't know that they're moral people. You don't know anything. You're taking at face value and you're feeling bad about your life because of a post that they're putting up online. Just get off of social media. It's destroying you. Look what it's doing to people. You know, the Gemara says in Masechus Psachim, Rabbi Yosef Bereder Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi Chalash. The Gemara says one of the Amorayim got very sick. And then the Gemara says that unfortunately he died. And his soul ascended up to heaven. Anybody saw on the news today, there was a woman in wherever that was, that was having a wake and then they heard knocking on the coffin. You're not up to date? This morning's news. Where, where do you all live? I guess you were all davening. Yes, there was a woman, I forgot where it was, maybe in Guatemala. They were in the middle of the wake and they kept hearing strange noises and they opened it up and she was breathing. But the Gemara tells such stories. And the Gemara says that Rabbi Yosef Bered, Rabbi Shoman Levi died. For anyone here who's scared that that's going to happen to them, <laughs> these things don't happen. Don't worry. There's a reason why it's on the news because they don't normally happen. So the Gemara says that he passes away and then miraculously he had a Tchiyas HaMesim. And his friends felt this was a great opportunity if you weren't alive for a couple of minutes and you obviously went up to heaven, tell us, what did you see? Tell us, my chazis, 
What perspective were you given in those few moments, in those few hours that you were no longer on this earth? What insight do you have to share with us? And he turns back to them and he says, I'll tell you exactly what I saw. I saw an olam hafuch ra'isi. I saw an upside down world. Elyonim lamata v'tachtonim lamala. What I saw was that everybody in this world who I thought was so important and so prominent and so significant is a zero in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I shouldn't say a zero. It's a one in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And everybody who we think is so insignificant that we're not paying attention to, everything was upside down. My whole perspective was wrong. Everything was backwards. That's the perspective I got when I was no longer on this earth. So the Gesher HaChayim, a Sefer on Hilchas Avelis, writes a very powerful illustration. He gives a mushal, it later became a song. If you have the chance to listen to the song, I think the song is more powerful than the mushal. But the story that he tells is about twins in utero who are together spending very pleasant time with each other. And he describes that they're having all kinds of conversations and they feel very secure and very sheltered by their mother who's taking very good care of them. And it's an enjoyable existence. And what can possibly be bad? I have my best friend next to me. I have my mom taking care of me. We get food every day. It's great. What can be better than this? This is the ideal utopian life that one can ever ask for. One day, they start getting into a philosophical debate. And one brother turns to the other and he says, you know, I'm not sure where I got this idea from, but something tells me that we're not going to be here forever. Something tells me that this existence is not going to last forever. The other brother says, you're insane. What does that mean? There is no other existence. There is no other reality. This is it. What more do you want in life than this? And he turns to him and he says, you know, the truth is we're, we're very confined here. We're very limited. We can't really go anywhere. We can't do anything. He says, well, where would you like to go? This is it. And he turns back and he says, you know, I have this vision. I have an imagination that there's a world out there with lots of colors and all kinds of people and food and clothing and amenities and houses and cars and sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's light. You know, there's like a sun and a moon and all kinds of shades of color and different seasons of the year. And his brother says, you should go see a therapist. You're, you're really, you're hallucinating. I mean, how do you come up with such ideas? Look at this. Everything's black and white and this is it. One fine day, after this debate is going on for months, one fine day, he wishes his brother goodbye, and he says, I'm just letting you know, I'm leaving. And he's born, and the brother inside is crying that his brother just died, and he lost his best friend. And he says, to prove it, I hear my brother crying on the other end, so I know that he's died, because life is so painful, why else would he cry? The brother on the outside is crying that his brother on the inside has such a limited perspective and doesn't understand everything that I see. I was just born into a world of color, a world full of people that love me, a world full of people that appreciate my contributions, a world where I can accomplish, where I can do things, where I can challenge myself, where I can grow. 
my brother's crying for me, I'm crying for him, then he's stuck. And the Gesher Achayim gives this mashal, where he describes that sometimes we look at the world and we are like that child who's left in utero who doesn't understand what's really going on in the big picture, in the big perspective. We don't see the whole world in front of us. We don't see the panoramic view. And our perspective is sometimes very limited. And we live with that limited reality. And it's very hard to see beyond it. So what I've been thinking a lot about over the past few days is, as I've seen haze and fog outside here in New York, I think about the fog that is so much of our existence. The smokescreen that we're looking at every single day. The fake and counterfeit world that we're inhabiting. And every so often, to give ourselves the opportunity to have a reality check. To use opportunities like this and ask ourselves, what did the Navi do when he saw an entire experience in front of him that was filled with smoke? His immediate react, reaction and response was, Oi li kinid mesi. Wow, have I been fooled? Wow, do I misunderstand the reality? Wow, do I not really get what's happening in front of me? Wow, I'm, I'm living by a communal standard that is not something I'm comfortable with at all. That is not something I want for my children and for my family. And I'm doing it just because this is what everybody's doing. Not realizing that it's not giving people happiness in life. And it's not bringing them to where they need to go. It's moments like these that we have the opportunity to have a slight reality check. And to give ourselves a chance to see, is there smoke in our lives that we're just not seeing through? Are there aspects of our lives that are so important, but that sometimes become overlooked because there's just so much fog in the way, so much haze, and therefore we can't see with clarity beyond what it is that's being presented in front of us? I had a lot more to think about 